well, today I hope to share something uh, with you that is not only useful for your work, but more importantly, for your life. As Danny says, I've been meditating for the last 30 years. I would say I've been struggling to meditate for the last 30 years because it is a constant work in progress. And that is the right attitude to take, that you don't strive to be a perfect meditator and you give up just because you think you are falling short of the ideal. So when I shared meditation with Danny, I said the important thing is to realize that you don't have to be an Olympic swimming champion to enjoy the benefits of swimming. Keep that in mind. I might have a challenging vision, but I feel that if today I can share with you the value of meditation and I can help you to get started, it will make a great contribution to Singapore as a fund management centre. Because to the extent that each of you benefit from the practice of meditation, I think Diamond will become a more resilient, stronger organisation. And we need more firms like Diamond to raise Singapore to the next level of development as a financial services centre. So I want to be very practical about today's session because you all are practical people. So the most important thing to know about meditation is how to do it. And in fact, there's no point talking about meditation unless I have shared with you how to do it and I invite you to do it with me together for 10 minutes. Then whatever I have to say about the benefits of meditation will begin to make more sense. So first of all, what is meditation? I urge you to keep in mind three words or three phrases. Stillness of body, stillness of mind, and discipline. These three words summed up meditation. So in order to meditate, we must first of all come to the stillness of body. Meditation is a practice which involves the whole human person, our body, our mind, and our spirit. You might say that meditation is to the spirit, what exercise and good dieting is to the body, and what stimulative reading is to the mind. So most of us spend practically all our time you know, taking care of our body and nourishing our mind, but we neglect the spirit. First of all, stillness of body. In order to meditate well, you need to learn to sit still. You need to sit in a way which is relaxed but alert at the same time. So it's this combination of being relaxed and alert at the same time. You're not going in for a bit of relaxation exercise, but actually you're doing a work during the period of meditation. The work that you are doing is the work of stillness. The stillness of the body and then the stillness of the mind. So stillness of body, we want to sit still for the entire period of our meditation. And the physical stillness is essential to preparing the mind for stillness. So in the card that I have given you, if you take a look at it, 
the first page, how to meditate. You notice that there are three key phrases in black. Sit still, that is for the physical stillness. Say the mantra, that is for the mental stillness. And then meditate twice daily. That is the discipline. So first of all, let's look at sitting still. The rule of posture is to sit with your back straight, your spine upright. So whatever sitting position you take, whether you are sitting on the floor in a cross-legged yoga position, or whether you are sitting on a cushion, or whether you are sitting on a chair as we are going to do now, the principle is to sit with your back straight, with your spine upright, so that you are alert, but not tense, not rigid. One good way of uh, coming to that is to be aware of the front edge of your buttock bone. Uh, you're all sitting on the chair, you're sitting on, with your buttocks on the chair, so there's a buttock bone. The front edge of the buttock bone, you might say, is the center of gravity of your body. So you want to sit in such a way that the frame of your body is resting on the front edge of the buttock bone. And that would automatically straighten up your spine, your back. So that's the first thing to do. The second thing to do is to put your two feet firmly on the ground so that you are nicely anchored. You don't have to move. Thirdly, your hands could be on your lap, could be on your knees, or you can put one palm on top of the other, one palm resting on the other with your shoulders opening up. Now that is what I do for my meditation because I find that when I do that, it opens up my shoulders and I can then breathe more freely. Number four, relax the muscles of your body, especially your face. Now, especially for people who do a lot of mental work, you find that at the end of the day, there's a lot of tension in our head. So it's good to just sort of uh, you know, relax your, your facial muscles. And one indication that your face is relaxed is when you have a slight, unforced smile. You know, the kind of smile that you can see on some statues of the Buddha or the kind of smile that you see in Kuan Yin, for example. It shows a peaceful, serene countenance. So in other words, you're relaxed. You're not tense, right? So relax your facial muscles and then close your eyes very lightly so that you are not distracted by what is going on around you. And then the final point about sitting is to then be aware of your breath. Now, our breath is constantly flowing in and flowing out, but we seldom give attention to our breath. This is the breath of life, so it's good for us to be aware of our breath. So in preparation for our meditation, it's good to just take a couple of seconds being aware of your breath coming in and going out. In other words, take a few deep breaths, the breath coming in and going out. And as you observe your breath coming in and going out, you find that your mind slows down. The mind quietens down. So that is a good preparation for meditation. So all these pointers that I have shared with you are about coming to this physical stillness, which is very important as a preparation for meditation. But the stillness of body is relatively easy compared 
to the stillness of the mind. How do we bring our mind to stillness? So when you say bringing the mind to stillness, what I mean is bringing the mind to attention. The word is attention. Very, very important word for work, for study, for relationships, for life. How to pay attention. In other words, to concentrate on one thing. One thing, laying aside everything else. So the stillness of the mind is about putting aside all other thoughts and giving our attention to one thing. So that is why in meditation, in the way that we teach it, we introduce the mantra. The word that we sound throughout the time of meditation. The word that we sound continuously throughout the time of meditation as the way of laying aside all other thoughts. We can't stop the mind from functioning. But instead of the mind wandering from one thought to another, you know, like a bunch of monkeys on a tree, you discipline the mind to pay attention to one thing. And the one thing that you pay attention to during a meditation is the meditation word, the mantra. Now I'm going to recommend to you a mantra, a word which I used. It's the word Maranatha. M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-A. Maranatha. Maranatha is a sacred word. In my tradition, because I'm a Christian, it means come Lord. But you can regard this word as having universal meaning. Regardless of what religion you come from, there's only one God. You want to take a word that is meaningful in life. So when people ask me, you know, I'm not a religious person, I'm not a spiritual person, you know, can I not use you know, a sacred word? I say, yeah, you can feel free to do so. But I said, you don't need a religion to meditate. But it is good to practice meditation as a spiritual discipline and not just as a relaxation exercise. I'll come to that later. But what you need to meditate is faith. Faith in yourself. Faith in your capacity to be peaceful. Faith in your basic goodness as a human being. Because that goodness, that capacity to be peaceful, is what we touch as a result of the practice of our meditation. And that is a human experience, common to every human being. So that's why I can share about meditation to a Christian audience. I can also share this with you because we are all human beings. So anyhow, the mental stillness is about coming to this stillness of mind, whereby during the time of meditation, as all these thoughts are challenging us, demanding our attention, demanding to be entertained, we have to let them go. We have to lay them aside. This morning I was meditating and suddenly there was something which was so insistent on getting my attention. But it was something about the financial markets. It was so <laughs> insistent and, and it was so seductive because I thought I had an insight. 
And as much as I tried to continue meditating, it kept on knocking at the door of my mind, demanding my attention after 30 years of meditating. So I had to just say, not now. Let me meditate, not now. So I carried on with my meditation, finished my meditation, and then as I sat down for my breakfast, this thing came back. And I was then able to attend to it, perhaps better, as a result of that period of meditation. So this is the kind of challenge that you're going to face when you meditate, but you must know that during the time of meditation, you have to return to the word, to the mantra. So the way to deal with the distracted mind is to sound the mantra. So then the question is, how do you sound the mantra? How do you say the mantra? How can you hold on to the mantra in the face of all these challenging thoughts? So first of all, you must learn to say the mantra continuously. Say it gently, but say it continuously. Ma, ra, na, tha. Ma, ra, na, tha. Silently, interiorly, within you, without moving your lips, you know, and since we are doing it together, without voicing it out. So it's an interior recitation of this word. So first rule, say it continuously, say it gently. Secondly, as you say this word, as you generate this word within you, Maranatha, you must listen to it. Listen to the sound as it is going on within you, so that you are even more absorbed in the sounding of the word. Sounding the word by itself is only 50%. Listening to it is equally important. So that will enable you to sort of maintain your faithfulness to the meditation word, the mantra. And then finally, as time goes by, you will find that your recitation of the mantra quite naturally gets synchronized either with your breath or with your heartbeat. So you begin to be able to sound this word to a natural rhythm within you. I think all of us have a different rhythm. So for example, my rhythm is to, as I breathe in, I breathe in the first two syllables, Mara, and then I breathe out, Natha. Mara, Natha. And it's good to be able to do that because uh, we are breathing all the time. So if we can rest the mantra on the breath, like a jockey on a horse, then you are more or less able to say the mantra all the time. But this requires uh, some practice. So today, don't be too you know, worked up about this synchronization. Just sound the word as best as you can. Ma, ra, na, fa. And then listen to it as you sound it. That's all there is to meditation. We now practice that for 10 minutes. Let me say a few words about the significance of what we have just done together. 
and then uh, open up for questions. What we just did, sitting still and saying the word, the mantra, is the work of attention. Learning to pay attention to one thing. But it's not only paying attention to one thing. It is a selfless attention. In other words, it is an attention that is focused not on yourself. In fact, when you are saying the mantra, you are putting aside all your plans, all your worries, all your desires, everything. You lay them aside and you give all your attention to this simple act of saying the mantra. In other words, you are learning to take the attention off yourself. So meditation reaches its greatest power when we are able to shift from self-centeredness to other-centeredness by the art of attention. So I was very fortunate to, to start meditating about 30 years ago when I was 40 years old and I was in a mid-level position uh, at the GIC. When I look back at the period of time that I spent at the GIC for over 25 years, I really feel that it was my practice of meditation every morning and every evening that really helped me, you know, both uh, professionally and also personally in my life. Let me explain why. As I said, in order for us to do our work properly, we need to be able to pay attention. This business of multitasking is not the way to higher productivity. You just need to do one thing well at a time so that you don't have to keep on doing it, repeating it. So it requires the power of attention to focus on whatever you are doing at that moment. That is the key to productivity. So whatever you're doing, whether you're composing an email or whether you're making a speech that I'm doing now, you pay attention to what you're doing. And that helped me a lot because when you are a senior executive, when you are a leader, you know, there are so many things that require your attention. So how do you give your attention one thing at a time? And then secondly, similarly for your study, when you want to study something, you need to be able to concentrate. And particularly nowadays when we suffer from this overload of information. So I'm convinced that if we can introduce meditation to our children in schools, it will be such a powerful way of not only helping them to de-stress, but to pay attention in a world where attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and there's all the distractions of the internet, 
video games and stuff like that. The question is where do you cultivate that power of attention? And this thing about other-centeredness is very important for investment professionals because what we have to deal with in managing our investments is to be able to perceive reality. What is the reality out there? Because only the reality is right. But quite often, our perception of reality is distorted by our biases, you know, by our experience of the past. In other words, we are looking at reality through crack lenses. There's a distortion. So in order to perceive reality in its entirety, we need to take the attention off ourselves and allow the reality to come to us so that you do not end up processing information which confirms your biases and rejecting information that so goes against what you choose to think. So I find that that is very refreshing. But you need to train your mind, so to speak. And sitting still, saying the mantra, letting all your thoughts, all your plans, all your ideas, all your imagination aside, gives you the space for your mind to look at things in a fresh way. So that is very important, I think, for whatever work you're doing, actually. You know, even when you are in, your, in a business relationship, dealing with clients, how do you perceive the reality of the client's situation? And then most importantly of all is the power of attention in relationships. Relationships with everyone you meet. First of all, your spouse, your children, your colleagues at work, your clients, whoever you encounter, to be able to engage that person when you're with them, with your attention, focus on them. There's no greater respect you can show to another person than to give him or her your attention. But you need to develop that so that you're not easily distracted. When you're talking to somebody, you know, somebody comes into the door, you don't look around. Keep your eye focused on the person you're talking to. You're not going to be distracted. And, and in a way, you, know, you might say that learning to give our attention to someone is, is an act of love. Not to think your own thoughts, but to listen to that person. While the person is speaking, you should not be composing the next question to ask. Your attention is diluted. So that means you have to be prepared that after the person has spoken, you might let a little bit of silence come in. Don't be uncomfortable with the silence. Let what the person says register in you, and then say, okay, can I now ask you this question? So from my experience, this is very, very important. Personal relationships become very important, and that starts with you being able to, to give your attention. So in summary, that's how this simple thing that you do every day, over a long period of time, it brings about, you might say, a rewiring of your mind, of your spirit. You might call it a fantastic software upgrade. You become more effective. You're able to harness the power of you as a human being.
I'm sure you've thought of a scientific aspect to why something so simple like just focusing on the mantra actually has, you know, the long-term effects that you just shared. Could you share with us some of the, like the, the studies that have been... Increasingly, there's more and more scientific experiments and research being done on the value of meditation. And, you know, if you Google, you can find a lot of these articles which explain about how it affects the prefrontal cortex and also how it sort of uh, tames the, the amygdala, you know, which is the, the fight-or-flight response in your brain, that the prolonged meditation begins to change the synapses of the mind so that certain parts of the mind, like the prefrontal cortex, you know, the ability to process information better gets enhanced. The Dalai Lama is one of those who says, let science verify what we have experienced. You know, he's a very scientific person. So he encouraged his disciples to go to the laboratories. You know. They put all those uh, sensors on them, and then they meditate, and then they monitor the brain waves. The scientific evidence is there. I mean, now the scientific equipment, the technology is there to enable us, you know, to see what meditation does to the brain. But basically, science is just affirming, verifying what the sages have known from thousands and thousands of years ago. The sages who went to the Himalayan mountains to meditate, the Buddha, How did he come to enlightenment? And even in the Christian tradition, the very earliest Christian monks were the people who learned this form of of meditation. Especially in in Asia, you know, the the tradition of meditation goes back thousands and thousands of years. When people ask me, how do I know that I'm making progress in my meditation? What performance metrics should we use? So I said, You have to practice meditation as a spiritual practice. And therefore, the benefits of meditation are what we might call the spiritual fruits. Fruits meaning the kind of things that develop naturally, nice to eat when they are ripe. So in, in our Christian religion, we speak about the fruits of the spirit. So what are the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the nine fruits of the Spirit. If you have these nine qualities in abundance, you come to the fullness of life. Why do I say that you should try to practice it as a spiritual practice and not just say, I'm, I just want something to de-stress, I, I, I want to have a clearer mind, hopefully I can generate more alpha, diamond. All those things will happen, but they are a byproduct. They are a byproduct of your meditation. But when you meditate, you, know, you want to move, as I say, from this self-centeredness, focusing on yourself, me, I, to other-centeredness. And then, those nine fruits of the Spirit, if you examine them carefully, they've got to do with your relationship. There is a lot of interest these days in mindfulness. And mindfulness is is very good. It has brought many people to have an interest in meditation. And 
Some people would refer to mindfulness as a way of meditation. So mindfulness has caught the popular imagination and got people interested in meditation. But mindfulness, in my opinion, does not go far enough, does not go deep enough as a practice. It does not go far enough and it does not go deep enough because your attention as you practice mindfulness stays with yourself. So you become still, you come to be in the present moment, you become aware of the sensations in your body, you try not to be distracted, you come to a heightened awareness of the present moment and of what you are feeling without having any judgment. That is good. That is good. But it's only the beginning. It's only the starting point. The next step is having come to self-awareness, you then transcend yourself. You stop thinking about yourself. That's when you move to a deeper level where you might say your whole person gets changed. Your mind, your attitude to people gets changed. So the danger is that if you practice meditation without this spiritual, when I say spiritual, I mean transcending yourself. That's what I mean by spiritual, not any particular religion as such. If you don't do that, then you get transfixed on yourself, and then you don't really make progress beyond the benefits of mindfulness. Can you give, use yourself as, as an example, when you first started meditation in yes. your 40s till now, how, how did the character change throughout his life as a, a leader in the GIC and also socially? This question is better answered not by me, but by the people who my life has affected. For example, my late wife, my children, my grandchildren, ex-colleagues at the GIC, how I changed, my friends. Because the value of meditation is most powerfully manifested in relationships. You should have seen me at 27 years old. I was a very arrogant person. Some of my colleagues, the MAS and the GIC, they were complaining that I was very intimidating. I was. We have to be humble about this and see that this is part of our growth and development. We shouldn't get stuck there. So when I was young at that age, I had a lot of drive. I was very ambitious. When I was in the MES, I said, I want to become the central bank governor. Of course, it didn't happen. I went to the GIC, and honestly, I'm happier. But the point is, all of us, if you come into this profession, you wouldn't be here unless you have to drive to succeed. You have that. And that's a good thing. You know, it's a gift that is given to you. Then the question is, how do you exercise that gift of a good mind? How do you develop your potential? And quite often, the thing that gets in the way is your ego. Your ego. The ego can get inflamed, and then you reach a point where you're just thinking about yourself. Me, I, what is in this for me? And very frankly, I think a lot of the problems that descended on the financial system in the world could be attributed to an ego that went wild in all these manifestations. So you find that our ego is what gets in the way of our growth and our development, but we need the ego to begin with because it's ego that gives you the drive to want to succeed. But then over time, you have to develop a healthy ego, 
A healthy ego is one which gives you the bigger picture that you're not the center of the world. So if you're a leader, you're a manager, of course you're important to Diamond. If you're a key person here, you are important, but you should not be self-important. You have to find that balance. I'm important, what I do makes a difference, but I mustn't think it's all about me. So gradually I found that I learned that, and then I begin to see that my position as a leader was not about exercising power, making things happen, direct this, direct that. It was more about responsibility. I have a responsibility. I'm given this job. I have a responsibility you know, to the people of Singapore because I'm a crucial person in managing the reserves. I have a responsibility to the reputation of the GIC and I have a responsibility for all the people who work there. How do I help them to grow professionally? So your mindset undergoes a big shift because during the time of meditation, I learned to stop thinking about myself and to put my attention on the other. The other during meditation being the mantra. And then personally as well, you begin to see your life in a more healthy way to see your life as a whole, that you're a human being, and how do you come to, to the fullness of your human potential? How do you live your life in such a way that helps others to grow? I found that because of my meditation, in order to find the time for my meditation, now I meditate 25 minutes in the morning and 25 minutes in the evening. And when I first started, I was doing 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. So in order for me to, to do that, I had to rearrange my life. I had to look into my life and say, what are the things that you are wasting time on? What are the trivial things that you are doing? So that I can create those two periods of time for what I could see as very important. So the way that I went about looking at it was, you know, most important thing is relationships. I make sure that I don't cut back on my time with the family, with my wife, or even with friends. I actually find myself cutting back time on work. In my case, it was because I was over-socializing. So when I started to meditate, I said, I have to do something about this. So I cut down, and then I tell my colleagues, my staff, I will come to some of these functions if they are absolutely necessary. If my presence is really required, but I do not want to come to something just to make up the numbers. So you have to learn to say no to certain things and know what to put the emphasis on. And then similarly, my sporting activities, we all have our addictions. So I was addicted to tennis and to golf, and, uh, and worse still, I was addicted to sports television. And it's endless. So I said, no, no, this is really a waste of time. All these sports, television, tennis, golf, there's no end. And it's basically the same fellows playing over and over again. You know? <laughs> and here am I being seduced by all this. So I cut it back and I said, I will watch the finals. <laughs> and then similarly for my own sports, instead of playing 18 holes of golf, I play nine holes. I play nine holes, I tell my friends, goodbye. You all have a good time, you know. I've got something to do. So your life undergoes a change. You begin to say, aha, what are my priorities? And your priorities should be focused above all on relationships. In terms of the practice, right, can you share with us 
some some of the more common challenges. For example, like for me, the biggest challenge I faced in my last couple of years of practice is falling asleep and a drifting mind. Falling asleep and a drifting mind. Turn to the next page. The discipline of meditation. Now, the first word, discipline is liking what you have to do. What's the opposite? Doing what you like. That's the opposite. I'll tell you a little story about discipline. You know, I was helping Mr. Lee Kuan Yew to meditate. So after several sessions with him, I went to meditate with him one evening. And finally, I plucked up the courage. I said, Mr. Lee, when I'm not here meditating with you, do you practice on your own? He says, of course. What's the point of learning if you don't practice? Said, Practically every night, I will meditate for 25 minutes, clears my mind, frees my mind, I become very relaxed, and I sleep very well. So I practice it every night. So I said, wow. I said, I've taught many people about meditation, but you have an incredible discipline. So he says, Kok Song, our country wouldn't be where it is today if I'm not a disciplined man. And then he spoke to me about how he, he said, I sweated blood and tears to learn to speak in Hokkien as a political leader. Because it was unfamiliar to me. I spent hours practicing Hokkien. I said, now, now I'm learning Beijing Mandarin. He said, when I set my mind to do something, I'm resolute about it. And he says, that's the kind of discipline you need. You cannot accomplish great things if you don't have discipline. So in the same way, meditation is a discipline. Meditation, some people say, oh, this meditation, how to do, you know, is what's sort of technique? You just meditated with me. There's not much of a technique in it, but it is the discipline that is needed. So the first thing is discipline. Second point in the card, be serious but realistic. Start immediately, if only once a day for only 10 minutes. But 10 minutes in the long term is not enough. The minimum is 20 minutes every morning and every evening. But give yourself some time. Give yourself a goal. You know, maybe one year or two years or three years to get there. But build up the discipline. So in other words, be serious but realistic. And then the third point I said, to make the time, examine your daily routine. What are you wasting time on? Or reduce them to make time for meditation. And then number four, learn the discipline of physical stillness. Sit with your back straight so you are alert. Lie down only if you are very tired or sick. Learn to breathe more deeply during and outside the time of meditation. Number five, try to meditate when you are fresh, such as early morning and evening, and preferably before meals. Ah, falling asleep. Why do people fall asleep during meditation? First reason is you are tired. You are just tired. And you need to sleep. So if you want to meditate, try to meditate when you are fresh. 
So the best time is early in the morning after you get up, and then in the evening before dinner. Now, you have to be flexible about this. When you say before dinner, it's also difficult, right? I mean, for example, for you all, you come to the office to work. I don't know what time you all leave for home. But before you leave for home, find a place and do your meditation before you set off for home. So you build in that evening meditation. Sometimes when I am in the office and then I'm going home a little bit late, so either I sit in my room, I close the door to meditate before I set off for home in order to put in the evening meditation, or I go to my car, I put on the aircon, and then I meditate in the car before I go home. But that's at a time when I'm quite fresh in the evening. And of course, try to meditate in a well-ventilated room so it's not too stuffy. But I think the most important thing is that you have to develop a certain familiarity with the mantra. The mantra is the secret to you being able to sustain your attention during your meditation. But when you first begin, the mantra is unfamiliar to you. Unfamiliar, you know, so you easily lose it. What we need to do is to allow the mantra to go deeper and deeper within us to practice so that during the time of meditation, you're able to say it clearly and to listen to it. And then the mantra, in a way, will help you to cope, you might say, with all the distractions. So familiarity with the mantra is quite important. And that's why I suggest in another point below that during the day, outside your time of meditation, find opportunities to say the mantra. For example, when you're exercising, when you're walking or when you're jogging, coming up in the elevator. So as you do that, you're practicing saying the mantra so that by the time you come to your meditation, it becomes more and more familiar. So those are the tips I would give you. Six, do not be discouraged by your distractions during the meditation. Simply return to the mantra. Number seven, do not be discouraged if you stop meditating for a day, a week, or a month. Start again. Number eight, practice sounding the mantra at other times of the day. For example, walking, jogging, waiting for someone, or traveling in the car. Number nine, prepare for meditation with little acts of kindness, like offering a smile and giving way to others on the road. Other-centeredness. The more you practice this other-centeredness, the easier it is for you during the time of meditation to take the attention off yourself. And then lastly, nourish your meditation practice with selected spiritual readings. So I have been meditating for over 30 years. The first 10 years was an intense struggle. I was new to it and felt like giving up all the time. But I was very fortunate because of my wife, a late wife. She was the one who got me started on meditation. At the very beginning, I was meditating with her in the morning before I go to work and in the evening too. And so when she's sitting down there, I did not get up. She was really the one who kept me going. Thank goodness we have good wives to help us to do that, you know. <laughs> but 
it was a struggle because I was not familiar with it. And, and then at that point in the first, I was very busy with work. I sat down in the morning for my meditation and then Wall Street had just closed. Then I'll be sitting down for my meditation and I will more or less be trying to formulate the GIC's investment strategy. So it was a challenge, but I said, no, I have to persevere in this. It will take time. I kept at it, you know, and then it was, it was also helped by the fact that by then, Father Lawrence Freeman had asked me to help him to, to do the teaching. So I was teaching in my church to a group about meditation. And you can't go to a group and say you have to meditate every day, every morning and every evening for 20 minutes and you have to say the mantra and you're not doing it. The mantra has got to grow deeper within you. It takes time for it to sink its roots into you. So now I've got no problem. The moment I close my eyes, the mantra sounds naturally within me. But it's taken 30 years for the roots to go deep. So we shouldn't be discouraged uh, by that. Then the second 10 years was like a plateau, you know. Yeah, okay. The difference between the second 10 years and the first 10 years was, the first 10 years I was really bothered about my difficulty in meditating regularly and in staying with the mantra. I said, Kuksong, something is wrong. You're not doing it well. But the second 10 years, I was not bothered at all. I said, you just have to keep doing it. And don't be concerned about your progress. You cannot measure your progress in that way. You just have to stick to it. So my attitude towards fidelity to the mantra changed. I was no longer preoccupied with success. I was more concerned about faithfulness. Major change in my own attitude. And then the last 10 years have been wonderful. Wonderful, because I think I'm beginning to experience more and more you know, the value of the meditation, which is why when Danny asked me whether I could come and share with you, I said, yes. Yes, I'd like to do this, because if I can be helpful to you by sharing this with you, then, then that's wonderful.